Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Wednesday, January 25th. Coming up, across the country, state and local governments are studying how to make reparations for the harms of slavery and segregation on Black Americans. In urban areas of Missouri, those discussions center around financial solutions. But today, we'll hear what those conversations look like in rural Missouri. Plus, two children in the Kansas foster care system have run away and died in the past year. We'll hear what advocates say needs to change and what the state is doing about it. We're doing a lot of things at DCF that focus on runaways. But first, some headlines. Jackson County legislators have approved a ballot measure that would let voters decide on an additional 3% county sales tax on recreational marijuana. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal reports that means some customers in the county could pay as much as 12% sales tax. Jackson County follows Kansas City, Independence, and Blue Springs in putting a 3% marijuana sales tax question on the ballot. If those measures pass, residents would pay the county tax, the 6% statewide tax, and any additional local tax on marijuana. Jackson County would use the money for community and veteran support services. Megan Marshall is the at-large legislator for the 3rd District. This is definitely a worthy cause and it leaves it up to the voters to make the decision. Residents will vote on the taxes on April 4th. Families are returning to a northeast Kansas City apartment complex after a fire left the buildings without heat or electricity for several days. KCUR's Carlos Moreno reports the heat is back on. The Kansas City Fire Department said it could not turn utilities back on at Gladstone Court Apartments until the property owner fixed a number of code violations. Parker Webb is the CEO of FTW Investments and says his team worked as fast as they could to get power and gas restored. More than anything else, we want people to have clean, safe, dignified housing. And, you know, this weekend is obviously, you know, not a great look for that. In the last year, Gladstone Court has been cited for one health code violation, eight property violations, a dangerous building violation, and four healthy homes complaints. Missouri lawmakers heard a record nine anti-LGBTQ bills yesterday at the State House. The GOP proposals include banning transgender girls and women from participating in girls' and women's sports teams and restricting gender-affirming care for trans kids. LGBTQ advocacy group PROMO is among those who testified against the bills. Public Policy Director Shira Berkowitz says lawmakers are attacking LGBTQ Missourians. Parents have a right to make medical decisions, healthcare decisions about their own children without the intervention of government. An American Civil Liberties Union report says there are more anti-LGBTQ bills in Missouri this session than anywhere else in the country. We'll be back after this. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. 
Reparation efforts in urban areas are gaining national attention. St. Louis and Kansas City have both created groups to study what cities can do to make amends for harm inflicted on African Americans. But rural areas of Missouri are taking their own steps toward righting historic wrongs on a neighborhood level. Cassidy Arena reports. On the busy corner of Lafayette and Dunklin Streets in Jefferson City, there are unraked lawns, a parking lot, and a tennis court. But it used to be a booming black commercial area with hotels, stores, and restaurants. 70-year-old Glover Brown used to live there. It was a home. It was a workplace. It was entertainment. And when I say that, it was for the black community. Due to urban renewal efforts in the 50s and 60s, their family was forced out of the area known as the Foot District. And it came through Jefferson City like uh, a storm coming over the horizon. The safety net the Brown family had built was gone. Brown says they then moved to an area with intense racism, including an explosive being thrown at their house. And now, decades later, Glover and his brother Arthur are making sure this history, their history, won't be forgotten. They recently got the Foot District designated as an official historic legacy district, and the city commissioned a plaque on the district's border. Glover says when a municipality recognizes an injustice and attempts to correct a past wrong, that's reparations. Although he commends the city, he says what's happening in Jefferson City and the Foot District right now might not fit a definition of reparations. Reparations could mean a couple of different things. Jokingly, we're still waiting on our 40 acres and a mule. And Glover's thoughts about what reparations means is a microcosm of the same larger conversation around the country. St. Louis has been working toward financial reparations on a citywide level with involvement and support from its first black female mayor, Tashara Jones. It's worth noting, Jefferson City has never had a black mayor. Including in relation to what reparations is, we need to talk more about transformative justice. That's Jeff Ward. He's the director of the Wash U and Slavery Project at Washington University in St. Louis. I think the term is partly avoided now because it's not clear what it means to many people. And it means different things to different people. We're going to see pretty soon, I think, a lot of grappling with that question of the meaning of reparations. Ward and others say a vital first step in achieving reparations is for a state to formally apologize for its involvement in slavery. Of the 18 slave states, Missouri is one of nine that has not apologized. Ward says people in St. Louis and Kansas City, where both mayors are Black, may feel more comfortable pushing for financial reparations, partially because of that political representation. Ayana Shivers is a test of that question in a rural area. She became Mexico, Missouri's first Black female mayor in 2019. It's about the power. And for true reparations to take place, there would have to be an exchange. And so my mindset is, don't ask somebody to give up their power, because that's like, you know, you asking a person when they're in the playoffs to give up their playbook to the opposing team. So Shivers and other Black community leaders started making their own changes. There are free tutoring programs, a city sustainability project, and other nonprofits to support Black communities as they thrive. You know, some of it is understanding we deserve the 40 acres in a mule and that to access it, we may not be able to wait on someone to hand it to us. We'll just have to acquire the skill set to do it ourselves. 
Shivers says small-town efforts like these are reparations and can be just as impactful as those in big cities. I'm Cassidy Arena, KBIA News. There are two known cases of Kansas foster children running away and dying in the last year. That's prompted calls for drastic change in the state foster care system. Blaze Mesa covers child welfare for KCUR's Kansas News Service. He told reporter Rose Conlin the state is making some progress in addressing runaway kids. So first off, Blaze, how did those foster runaways die? Well, one child ran away from a foster care agency's office and was found dead in an empty lot a few days later. Another had stolen a car and crashed headfirst into a semi-truck. And how big of an issue are runaway kids in Kansas? Yeah, so a few years ago, I think right around fiscal year 2015, uh, 0.74% of kids in state custody were defined as runaways. Uh, by the uh, fiscal year 2022, that number rose to 1.23%. So as we can see, that number is rising. But having around 1% of kids running away at one time, that's somewhere around the national average. And you spoke with almost a dozen people. Some applauded the state while others were critical. Where is the state struggling? There is a demand for more training to care for LGBTQ kids. The idea being if you create an affirming and welcoming home, the kids will just be happier to live there and less likely to run. Caseloads are also just too high. Uh, The more time a caseworker can spend with a kid, they can better build that connection, know each other more, and that kid may be more interested in telling them some of the issues or problems that they have. And if you can address problems while they're small, it prevents them from spiraling out of control to the point where a kid might need to run away. That could be avoided. Could a foster family make that connection as well? Yes, of course. Foster families spend plenty of time with kids. They could also make that connection. But ideally, a caseworker will spend their entire time with one kid as they go throughout the foster care system. And caseworkers have a little more training. You know, they might be better adapted at substance abuse issues, which is a pretty big reason why some kids run. And how exactly do substance abuse services keep kids from running? Well, kids don't just aimlessly wander around the street. They're usually running to someone or to something. Sometimes it's pretty minor, like they want to get their hair dyed, but their foster home won't allow it. So they run to go get hair dye, find a place to do it, but they always intend on coming back. The same could be said for kids who are looking for drugs. Just because they go out to find them doesn't mean they won't come back. KVC Kansas is a foster agency who said this is one of the main reasons kids run. They have a team dedicated to helping substance use issues, but there's really only one intake center designed to help kids in the state. So if that team needs more help or needs more intensive services, there's really nowhere to put that kid. And Kansas is making some progress. What is the state doing well? Well, kids often run to family, and the state acknowledges that. They're putting a real emphasis on keeping kids with their family so they're already with that community and people that they would want to run to. Uh, Emily Hermish works with foster care agency TFI Family Services. If tomorrow you had a choice to go hang out with your best friend or your aunt, or I said, let's go to a stranger's house, most of us are going to pick our best friend or our aunt, right? Those are people we trust. The state also has a team dedicated exclusively to runaway kids and addressing their needs. And it's using federal Family First prevention money to invest in therapy and other treatment to keep kids out of foster care. Those programs have kept 90 percent of kids referred to the services out of the system. 
These ideas are all great, but is one more important than the other? You know, could any of these fix the problem by itself? So there are dozens of ideas, and there's just really not enough time to talk about everything that people want done. I'll leave you with this from Leisha Welch. She works with the advocacy group Children's Rights. She said there's one thing states should be doing. If you center the voice of young people and listen to them and understand, you know, what it is that is driving them out of placement and try to correct that. And that's how you're going to fix the system. So one thing will not fix the problem by itself. It's really going to need to be a combination of services. That was Kansas News Service reporters Blaze Mesa and Rose Conlin. The Kansas News Service is a collaboration of KCUR, KMUW, Kansas Public Radio, and High Plains Public Radio. It reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Cassidy's story on reparations and Blaze's coverage of foster care in Kansas, visit KCUR.org, where you can find more Kansas and Missouri coverage from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.